figure in the information age, but facts are in short supply. Reject the noise, ask bold questions, and pursue the truth with FBI whistleblowers and founding suspendables, Garrett O'Boyle and Steve Friend. This is the American Radicals Podcast. It is the American Radicals Podcast on Thursday, January 4th. It's the first live live stream of 2024. We're excited to be here. Uh, we've got a full jam-packed show. The, night, the name of the show today, the title is going to be Say the Line. There's going to be no sacred cows today. We're going to be looking at uh, this prevailing uh, tendency of people to parrot these narratives that are uh, completely uh, against what their their uh, what their principles are, and they do it to express their fealty to a particular candidate for office, or to a political party, or to a movement. Uh, and I, I'm really excited to have GOB back in the saddle with me in 2024 to talk about it, because what we're going to talk about today is bordering on idolatry, which I know is something that is near and dear to your heart. <laughs> but before I get your initial read on that, uh, I've been monitoring the chat here. We're excited to have you all here with us on Rumble, uh, the Amrad Pod. It's rumble.com slash Amrad Pod. Make sure you give us a like and a follow. I see some stuff going on in the chat. Guys, uh, the the Rumble guys did an awesome job of migrating the show from Kyle Serafin to my account. So if you uh, have subscribed, you're going to have to refresh it. You're going to have to do that again. Uh, it, it would, They basically invented a way to do it, to, to, to copy and paste it. Uh, we're so thankful to have Rumble supporting us there. We reached out. Kyle did a great job of of setting the channel up, and and, and then he took the uh, the training wheels off and said, "Go go forth, uh, Garrett and Steve, and do your best." And then uh, Rumble was able to actually migrate the, sh the show over to our control. So if you're we're a subscriber there, it was temporarily taken down. Uh, if you resubscribe, you should be uh, should be up and running there. Uh, but back to the topic at hand, Garrett. Happy New Year to you. Uh, Happy New Year. And uh, idolatry initial read uh it's it's blasphemous and we see it all around us so i'm looking forward to today because we have many false gods many false idols in this nation and in this world so it'll be interesting as we dive deep into some of these topics you know we're we are definitely loaded there are no safe spaces on the amrad podcast <laughs> because we are going to be taking it to all sides of every aisle possible uh, because there shouldn't be any sacred cows across the political spectrum and uh, we want to dig into each one of those because we're not really preferring one side or the other we think people should hold on to their convictions and their principles uh, rather than just parrot what uh, their preferred candidate might uh, might say that is necessary for them now the title of the show i i went with a little bit tongue-in-cheek say the line and for those who don't know this is sort of an internet meme that uh that was a, a uh, derivative of The Simpsons. Uh, there was a very famous episode where the character Bart Simpson uh, says something and, and it becomes famous. And then people always say, say the line, say the line. Uh, and it has now become an internet meme because it, you will have a, an incident happen like a mass shooting. And there, the, the meme will go out, say the line, say the line, and it'll be Bart with an FBI hat. And he has to look down and say, <laughs> we knew about this guy. He was on our radar say the expected line that we all know that you're going to say because you have to and we're going to examine it through that lens but for those who don't know i think it's just uh it's just funny it's real real short this is what the actual internet meme is uh and uh from the simpsons say the line bart i didn't do it Yay! <laughs> say the line bart 
I didn't do it. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Worth saying two times. It's a real brief one, but uh, that is the meme that, that we're going to be looking at. Um, and I told Garrett just before we went live here, uh, we're loaded, man. We got, we got at least a dozen of these. So without further ado, let's bring up the first one, which I think we can all sort of uh, roll our eyes at because we've seen it so many times. This is the most recent example. Uh, and uh, it was in regard to the COVID vaccine and actually contracting coronavirus. The most recent example I found was from the uh, from the senator from Vermont, Bernie Sanders. I have tested positive for COVID. My symptoms are minimal and I will continue to work from home in Vermont while isolating in accordance with CDC guidance. I am glad to be fully up to date and with the vaccine. He didn't say boosted, but uh, the line is nevertheless is, is implied there. Garrett, uh, this is something that we saw for the last few years going over and over and over again. Uh, we can get down into the weeds of the vaccine is supposed to be effective, 95% effective. Tracy Beans talked to us about how that was completely false. It wasn't the, the actual true effectiveness. It was a relative effectiveness. It was false advertising. Uh, but I think the, the larger issue at hand here is people of Bernie Sanders' side of the aisle need to say the vaccine is objectively good and effective, uh, even though his statement contradicts itself because he obviously caught the disease that he was supposed to be vaccinated, that he's very grateful to be vaccinated for. Uh, it's an inauthentic statement from Senator Sanders, but nevertheless, you have to say it if you come from his side of the aisle, correct? Correct. You must. Uh, you must toe the line and you must say the line because otherwise, uh, you know, you're not going to be put up on a pedestal uh, from that side of the aisle because we've been saying all along the, the vaccine is safe and effective and it's neither. It's turning out. I heard uh, Dr. Peter McCullough yesterday say that uh, their best medical estimates say that the vaccines have led to 17 million <clears throat> deaths worldwide so far alone. But here in this country, you still have people marching around like zombies saying the line, uh, safe and effective. I'm so glad to be to be vaccinated and boosted. And it's like, here we are again with uh, the word war, because our whole life, a vaccine was something that inoculated you against a particular disease, like polio, for instance. There's a vaccine that you get the polio vaccine, you're not going to get polio because you're completely inoculated against it. But here we have these, I mean, I almost said therapeutics. They're not even that at this point because of the danger that can come from just getting getting it injected into your body. But here you have someone like Bernie Sanders, who is one of the higher risk, uh, you know, echelons of people from, uh, you know, having the worst type of reaction to COVID itself. But still, it's like a 97% survivability rate for his age group without a vaccine. And now you have you know, again, we got to he be hesitant with the words we use. You have this injectable that he put in himself and says, I'm so happy to be boosted and vaccinated against this disease that I still caught. Like, it doesn't even make any sense. But so many people are just like, oh, yeah, it's safe and effective. Get your updated booster this year. And I, I think it's an interesting contrast when you look back uh, into 2020 when they were developing the vaccine, Operation Warp Speed, uh, and obviously that was a Donald Trump initiative. So if it actually had been, let's say, this this great uh, and sainted cure for, for COVID or inoculation against it, uh, I remember there was Kamala Harris, now vice president, saying, oh, I'm not taking a vaccine that was developed under the Trump administration. So, And right now, 
they're, they've done a complete 180 and mm -hmm. both sides have done the complete 180. Most people who are, uh, or anti-vaccine, I think it's, it's a pretty uh, good correlation that they vote uh, on the right side of the aisle. So again, it's, I agree with you on the effectiveness and the actual harm that the, the vaccine is causing. Uh, but for our purposes today, I think that this is the the ground ball, the lowest hanging fruit of say the line mm -hmm. to make sure that you show us your bona fides, make sure that you are a member of the club. Uh, obviously, Senator Sanders did that and uh, and he was he was happy to do that. And he'll get his just uh, just desserts for that from from the party at hand, because he certainly can't say. Well, this didn't work. Sorry about that, folks. Um, <laughs> he would be ostracized from the polite society that he likes to keep, the polite company he likes to keep, at least. Yep. We'll move on then to uh, to another one. Like I said, we're kind of going a little bit rapid fire. I had this moment uh, over the weekend where I, this idea came to me of the say the line, especially when I saw the Bernie Sanders quote, and and it just kind of just flowed out of me, and I just made a quick note of every single thing that I could think of, but probably in about ten minutes, uh, and then spent yesterday trying to find the best examples if I could for each so we could bring them to you. And we're, and so we're going a little bit rapid here, uh, but that's just because I'm so excited about my list. <laughs> the next one here. Uh, and again, no safe spaces. This is a Congresswoman, a Republican, Maria Salazar. And she was talking about the United States being involved with the Russian Ukrainian conflict. And that is now going on almost two years. And she was asked about at the time, a no fly zone, being implemented for that. And uh, here's what the good congresswoman from Florida told the uh, the journalist. This is across the board. And, and, and do you support a no-fly zone in Ukraine? I, I, I support everything that has to do with punishing Vladimir Putin and helping the Ukrainians. Wouldn't that mean direct conventional warfare with Russia? I don't know what it will mean, but you know freedom is not free. So you don't know what a no-fly zone will mean? If you, if you have to shoot down Russian planes, I mean. Of course. So conventional war with Russia. Listen, thank you. <laughs> Listen, thank you. She got uh, her lines in. Freedom isn't free. That's the line there. Uh -huh. That's say the line. Uh, that has been something that's, I mean, probably since Iraq from early 2000s under the Bush administration. Maybe, maybe it was, maybe it was uh, when we went to Afghanistan. I can't remember either one, but it's, it all kind of blended together from that era. That is a hardcore neocon Republican yes. talking point. And you have actually gone to both Iraq and Afghanistan. It must uh, sort of resonate with you. Oh, that. it certainly does. I was a con con myself in my younger years. It's in large part what led to me enlisting in the first place. And then uh, throughout those years, uh, I slowly started to realize like, oh, this is just a big con. And no wonder they're called neocons. It's, it's, it's a, got a double <laughs> meaning there. And, uh, <laughs> Thankfully, no longer am I conned into this belief of we have to have perpetual war on all sorts of fronts. And like, did you see the excitement in her when he asked the question? Oh, yes, yes, anything. It means literally anything to support Ukraine and go against Putin. Like, these people are psycho, man. They're psycho. I, I don't think that in her political calculation that went on there, 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 that's a virtue at that point, especially in the early days of the Ukrainian war, everybody was saying, Hey, you got to fly your flag and make your emojis and the, and the blue and, and yellow flag has to be on everything. And mm -hmm. why support? And I stand for Ukraine. I, I think that she probably thought that saying anything that I can do to support that, that's where I'm going to actually make my political hay. Uh, and that doesn't say anything about the whole military industrial complex where we've now sent hundreds of billions of dollars to this small eastern european country that no one can find on a map 
And it's actually, we've sent them more money in the last two years or almost to the equivalent of what the United States has sent in aid to Israel since 1967. Yeah, I, I, I loved it. Um, a couple of weeks ago at one of the debates, Vivek Ramaswamy uh, called out Chris Christie and Nikki Haley because, you know, they're they're pro all, they're neocons. They're, they're just, that they, that's what they've always been. That's pretty much how Nikki Haley has gotten and accumulated any sort of wealth is by being a neocon. And he calls them out and says, I bet you can't even name a province that you want our kids to go fight in. And of course they couldn't. And it's like, it's like, yeah, there's, there's at least somebody out there who's refusing to say the line because they've realized from the beginning, like uh, what's going on here. And you know, like uh, when the whole Ukraine war kicked off and I don't know how much credence can go into my experience in Iraq and Afghanistan, maybe some, uh, but I was immediately hesitant, and I think in 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 some part it had it has to do with my own experiences at war, and you know you can see behind me some of my my patches and and insignias and stuff like that, and kind of right above my ear over here is is a is a combat infantryman's badge. Like I've seen it, I've done it. I don't want anybody to have to do it. And I came out of my time in the military more anti-war than anything, and but still realizing that war is necessary on occasion but then here in this country you have people who are thumping the war drum as loud as they can and have no real stake in the game but they don't have a problem sending you or your kids i, I think i saw this meme that was it was like these neocons it was almost like a crack addict just just one more war please i, I promise it'll be the last one just just let's just turn more. turn the launch keys just can we can we just launch some missiles over at iran i promise this will be the last time uh uh, I want to transition though off of this one. Uh, like I said, we got a full list. We here. got many. Yeah, I know. I yeah. got. I got to. I got to stay a little short-winded so we can get through them all. Well, I I think that the next one, and before we get into that, I want to give you an opportunity now that you're back up and running to to plug the merch store, plug oh, yes. the Oboyo Family Sweatshop, and for two reasons: one, because people you need to go to www.the-suspendables.com to get your merch, and secondly because I think that it's going to feed really well into the next, say, the line. Uh, but uh, before we do that, Garrett, uh, anything going on there? You got to come up with new designs or packages that you got for folks? Yeah, I've got a bunch of new, new designs in the hopper, but I, I think we're going we're gonna to roll with what we have for a while and um, uh, you know, just see how the current, the, the current batch of designs go uh, just for the foreseeable future. Um, just to make some space and get rid of some some designs I already have prepared and whatnot, but um, yeah, it's going well. I was actually back in the dungeon yesterday for a good portion of the day to try to get caught back up, because as you all know, I had uh, some surgery recently, and so I was kind of out of the out of the game for a bit. So I was in the hole, and now I think as of this morning, there's one or two orders that trickled in, but I'm only like maybe three or four orders in the hole. So yeah, head over to the-suspendables.com and get yourself some merch. Oh, the hats. There's only one hat left, I believe. Ooh, so whoever, right. whoever orders the next hat, that's it. That's the last hat. I know my brother got three of them, and he's a hat guy. So oh, nice. he said that they're excellent. He does a lot of outdoor work. That trucker-style hat, especially in the southeast, is really good uh, for keeping your head a little cool. I didn't really appreciate that until I moved to Florida, and I put a regular <laughs> hat on, and it was just like a sauna above my ears. <laughs> And I'm saying that as somebody who would be wearing the Sherpa hoodie probably nine to 10 months a year in the state of Florida. <laughs> yeah. uh, but so here, having now run this, uh, this O'Boyle family sweatshop, I think is a good launching point for the next say the line. 
And that is something that we hear from the from the left. Uh, diversity is our strength. Mm, of course. Now, having run this, and obviously all of the uh, all all the merchandise there, your the little girls are obviously fingers to the bone making that. Uh, but eventually, you know, if if it launches off into an enormous venture capitalist venture where you get to uh, make T-shirts and hoodies and hats all around the country, and it takes off, and you decide that you know. Uh, the the people that are doing this at the optimal level they all happen to be i don't know one-legged blind filipino men who are five foot seven and then you come one day and say well we have too many one-legged five foot seven filipino men uh, doing this we need to have diversity because diversity is our strength so you start to hire different people by definition your product will suffer as a result of that uh, and, and i I connect that to what we saw in the last few years where people sort of got conspiratorial about things like all these train accidents happening or these meltdowns happening at plants. I can't help but think that just the push for diversity and, and meaning that we're going to have suboptimal performance has led to a lot of these failures here. Uh, but now being the uh, the new entrepreneur on the T-shirt business here, does that does that connect with you at all? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it would one, it would be awesome to have uh, the the tiny merch store expand to such uh, heights as that. But um, but yeah, as they say, more money, more problems, and you can see it pretty much any sector you look in, private, public, doesn't matter. Uh, this push for diversity, equity, and inclusion is insane. Look at some of the big companies out there and the types of training they push for, the types of people they want to get in certain you know parts of their business, and it's like, well, are they qualified? You know, and and let's look at the transportation sector you mentioned. Uh, look at Pete Buttigieg. I mean, the guy has no business in 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 that industry, yet here he is appointed to being transportation czar because why? Because he's gay and allegedly, stuff. yeah. And it's like okay, and then then we have trains getting derailed and the president refusing to go visit East Palestine, Ohio, and and all the things. And it's like, well, uh, our DEI is on point. But we can't keep the trains running on time, which, from what I remember, was basically like the old, that and the Autobahn were the only two things that people said were good about Adolf Hitler, or at least to keep the trains running on time. Uh, so we've had failures across the board. It's, it's catastrophic. It's even worse than that. But uh, yeah, like you said, we do have all the DEI, which I, I believe they're adding a letter to now. It's uh, A for access or accessibility. Oh, and uh, I've done enough jumbles in the, uh, the morning newspaper with the crossword and the jumble to realize that they're rebranding. They're going to make DEI, add the A, it'll make it idea. Mm. <laughs> and then they can just start the process all over again until people catch on. It's always the word game. It's always, yep. always the whack-a-mole that we have to do. No more diversity is our strength. Next one. And this is a recent, this has been actually pretty big. Uh, this is a big scalp that uh, people on the right have been claiming. And that relates to the, the president of Harvard resigning over these plagiarism. Um, her last name, Gay, Gay out at Harvard following plagiarism scandal, and she blames racism, of course, because reasons. Uh, but here's my comment on this. Uh, I got really frustrated with the right claiming the scalp. Now, look, the guys that actually did the muckraking and exposed this, they deserve the helmet sticker. They, they deserve the attaboy. But to me, this was actually a really bad example of the laziness and the lack of willingness to be inconvenienced by people who I think for the most part are you and I would sympathize with on most political issues because it's really easy to just 
repost or retweet or share a story about plagiarism um, when you didn't even know this woman's name two weeks ago. She she got her name in out because of the Elise Stefanik hearing where they were asking about uh, anti-Semitism on Ivy League campuses, and she gave an insufficient response to that. And then immediately people started to dig into her background, and they realized that she'd plagiarized um, almost her entire catalog of writing. But you didn't know who she was. Do you think that they're going to replace the Harvard president with Thomas Sowell? No. <laughs> no, they're, no. They're going to replace her with another communist. Yeah. Do you really care who is raising money for the endowment, for the Harvard endowment? No. no. You don't. But it's easy to claim, oh, look, I contributed. I clicked share. So I'm going to claim this as a scalp for myself. But people couldn't even be bothered to cancel Disney Plus or to extend it for an extended period of time, stop drinking Bud Light. They went immediately back to it. Right. Let alone something that's even more serious than that. Like, I don't know if you're really worried about education. How about you go to your school board? It, but it's just too darn convenient to sit on your iPhone and go on Twitter and see this and then share the story and claim that, look, I really am. I'm, I'm, I'm interested and concerned about what's going on at Harvard. We need to claim this scalp. Good on us. We're exposing this. But what does it really achieve? Uh, not much in reality. And you bring up some other good points that I think certainly tie in drinking Bud Light, going to Target, going to Starbucks, you name it. And you have all these Americans of a, a certain idea who say, hey, we got to fight fire with fire. Yeah, but you crawl back to your Bud Light or to Target or whatever. Like we I, I want to say we have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. But with all the other options out there, how uncomfortable will it be really to uh, to not go to Target? You know, they could go. <laughs> somewhere else instead and then you know i get like okay well walmart's just as bad they just weren't caught in some scandal yeah yeah that's true that's fair or amazon or whatever um but um but yeah the, the this this president of harvard is i want to i want to say i saw that she was making like seven hundred thousand dollars a year or nine hundred thousand something ridiculous to begin with and it's like yeah they're you know it, it's like clipping your fingernails they're gonna grow back so whoever they put in place of her, it's going to be someone who's just as bad, if not worse. And they're, you know, I, I love too how she blames racism. That's another line. Like if you are of a certain pigment and, you know, in her, for her, she could blame sexism too, because she's also a woman. I think, I think that's what she identifies as. And it's like, it's like, okay, there's another line for you. Like, oh, just point to racism. Well, you were the one in the hearing who provided insufficient answers about racism towards Jewish people. And now you are going to try to blame racism for your plagiarism and for your insufficient answers about racism itself. And, oh, it's just the white patriarchy that is just trying to get me down. Like I saw actually the Associated Press was trying to go and, and say that this is just another uh, feather in the quill of, of conservatives when the, the Republicans pounce argument where they're using plagiarism as a new weapon to go after their political enemies. And, and it was basically like, stop noticing what we're doing. Yeah, essentially, that's the argument that that they were making. They were just in their own way trying to frame it as her as a victim in this case. Of course, and she's a victim of her own misconduct. She's a victim of her own uh, ill chosen words when she uh, spoke to Congress. Uh, and obviously, she built a career on lies here. But at the same time, I want to hold our side accountable if they are looking to this scalp as they've done enough 
uh, to really affect and impact Harvard. Again, do you really care about Harvard? Do you have friends who are at Harvard? Do you? Th and and I know that it's an it's an institution in this country. And look at all the, the senators and the governors and the Supreme Court justices that have come out of this institution. So it does matter. Uh, but at the same time, it's really easy to click retweet. It's a much more it requires much more of you to go to your school board and then actually try to impact you know, what is uh, being taught to your child. But it would require you to maybe miss a night of Netflix, maybe uh, not get your fantasy team up to date, get comfortable being uncomfortable. So again, no, no safe spaces here, no golden calves. We're tearing down <laughs> shibboleths everywhere we go as we move to the next topic. Uh, little lighter note here to express it, but I do think that uh, this is a, an issue and this is trust the experts. Hi, my name is David Jones and I'm an expert. I just wanted to let you know that we are right in the thick of this fight against COVID. The science and all experts are in complete agreement that we are just at the beginning stages of uh, this fight against COVID. I'm actually also an expert and I slightly disagree with you. Ah! <laughs> uh, really sorry I, about that. So we are all really in agreement. Ah! <laughs> so anyways, sorry, uh, dude, I, I, ah! <laughs> What are you doing? No, no. Ah! Ah! You know, the expert community oh. doesn't like it when you try to undermine science. Ah! Ah! This one's ah! very ah! No, no, why are you taking me? <laughs> Keep calm and trust the experts for those of you who are listening on the podcast. Uh, and, and you can do that on iTunes, on Spotify, iHeart, uh, uh, all of those. Uh, if you are with us, though, in the chat, then, uh, then you get the uh, the experience of watching the the comedic comedic genius here of these guys as they talk about. And this was during the the heyday of COVID, uh, where the experts were all arguing back and forth of should you wear a mask, should you stay inside, could the kids actually get give the disease to the to the teachers who would then take it home and die, should you get vaccinated? Obviously, it's all part of this greater and growing narrative that we were fed in. Um, overfed over the last few years that we must trust the experts because i don't know reasons and, and covid was the best example of it but it also pertains to things uh like the climate uh, or uh transgender surgery because people apparently are, are experts on how you should uh sodomize or should castrate your child cut their genitals off because Again, I'm an expert. Trust me. You know, it's better to have a uh, your son be a, li a living daughter than a dead son. You know, it's all this. This it, it is across the board, though. Um, I think that people from the neocon right would say, "Trust the experts. We know about foreign policy. You should definitely give us a ramped up military spending here, so we can launch the next war into some country that you can't find on a map." Yeah, so, or trust the experts. Uh, we didn't blow up the Nord Stream two pipeline. That that was somebody else. Come on, we believe us, <laughs> man. And yeah, so that one's it's not really particular to any particular side of, of the aisle, the political spectrum. Um, but it's certainly something that they lean on heavily. It's the appeal to authority. It's something that I actually contended with when I came forward with some of my concerns that I have in my whistleblowing. I, they said, look, you don't have enough experience in domestic terrorism to bring forward the concerns you have. And I said, well, I've, you know, I've been an FBI agent for a long time. I've worked in law enforcement. I know Constitution pretty well. Um, I would think that that qualifies me to... to throw the flag here. I, I received the training at the Holocaust Memorial about abuses of power. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that you're saying that I haven't worked this particular type of domestic terrorist case is an appeal to authority. That's a, a an error in thinking. That's yeah. and, a logical and fallacy. It's also gaslighting you because 
think of it. Uh, let's just let's just think of the legal definition of an expert witness. You have the bona fides to be an expert witness because you have far more than experience and knowledge and information regarding domestic terrorism, even though you didn't work it very long, uh, than the layperson, which qualifies you right there to be an expert witness in a, in a court of law. But uh, this is the same type of thing for me, especially when um, I was deposed. Uh, they tried, you know, throwing shade like that, saying, well, you know, you, you don't really know. And it's like, well, okay, one, you only need to have a reasonable belief. And I can articulate my reasonable belief as to why these things fall into one of the five or more than one of the five major categories of wrongdoing that whistleblowers are supposed to be protected under. And then you explain these things and it's like, this is not unreasonable. It's like we've said all along, our whistleblower complaints weren't partisan. I remember telling them that then because it's Democrat and Republican attorneys who are questioning you. And it's like, this doesn't have anything to do with politics. These complaints and issues have everything to do with whether we have a reasonable belief or not. And we shouldn't be retaliated against for that because here's my reasonable belief of whatever wrongdoing I'm bringing forward. I'm bringing it forward to a proper authority that is legally defined for me to do. And now you decide, but instead, you know, we get, we get the ax dropped on us, which is fine because <laughs> here we are. Here we are on the American Radicals podcast, episode 16. We're, we're humming along here. I think we are now double the amount of the average episodes for most podcasts in America. So I think we've got some staying power. Certainly do. I see it in the chat. Uh, despite my lack of technological proficiency where I screwed up the Tuesday stream where we interviewed Greg Dillon, uh, we are up and running now on Rumble. And for those of who might actually be watching on Twitter, you have at AmradPod, at GOBActual, at real Steve friend is streaming on all those, but uh, join us over at rumble rumble.com slash amrad pod. You can participate in the chat and also leave us comments. We, I, I like reading through the comments that uh, we got a really, a really good audience and it's growing. We were now over a thousand and, and on to the next the, the, I think the next milestone will be to get to five digits as we have exponential growth here. Uh, and we'll move along though, off of trust the experts. And this next one, I've got a few different examples to, to push home. And, and that is this notion, this narrative that we're being fed by the Republican Party about how the uh, Secretary Mayorkas and the Biden administration, they're failing at the border. Uh, and that is not accurate. I, I would contend that they're actually succeeding at the border as they define success. Uh, but we'll look to a couple examples here. Uh, this was a, a representative who appeared on Steve Bannon's program, uh, Representative Burleson. We'll, uh, we'll watch his, he, he was talking about going to the border. I think like 60 Republicans were going there for a photo op. Let's hear what he has to say. It's, uh, it's about 30 seconds. Congressman Eric Burleson, Missouri 7, joins us. Sir, I noticed today you're not at the border for the photo op. Why not? You're not a team player? <laughs> Look, I'm happy that going down there, but I didn't need to go back. I went in the spring. I saw how bad it was. I don't need to spend taxpayer dollars to go back. I'm already motivated as it is to do what's right. I don't need to go to another press conference. It's time to take action. And that's why I'm, I'm encouraging my colleagues and letting them know, along with others like Chip Roy, that if we're not going to shut down the border, then it's time to shut down the government. So I think that's actually a fair statement from uh, Congressman Burlesman there. It's, it's a recognition of uh, what's, what's been going on where we're having 12,000 people a day 
uh, that were known that we're, we're are encountering, our government officials are encountering. So who knows actually how much it's been. It's in the millions now over the last few years who have surged across the southern border. And, and that's certainly that congressman right there is not wanting to go do, as Steve Bannon said, go do the photo op so that they can then use that as, I guess, campaign material. And they can talk about Biden's failing on the border. Again, right. back to what I said, it's not a failure. They want to surge the border. There, yep. This was there's a reason that so many people came across immediately, and it's because people on uh, Joe Biden and Alejandro Mayorkas, and here the Boston mayor Michelle Wu's perspective. Mm -hmm. This is how they view the United States, and we'll we'll give her a play here. And again, this is about a minute long. Every person, every human being, has the legal right to come to the United States and seek asylum or shelter, and um, those policies have been in place for a long time, but when the review of that individual's particular situation and the then decision to allow um, the, the pathway to stay and or work authorization that comes along with that, when that process is so drawn out, people are stuck. They, they are looking to work, looking to contribute, looking to be in a safe democracy where they can raise their families and um, we at the city level are now dealing with many of the impacts of the processes having people fall through the cracks at the federal level. So we're working very closely with the state. Um, this is affecting municipalities across the Commonwealth to be able to triage the situation, create temporary um, housing so that families can get settled. All right, Mayor Wu from Boston. Uh, that's number th two. We'll have a third one here, Garrett. Uh, there's 8 billion people on the planet. And apparently the Boston mayor thinks they all have a right to come to America. Uh, this is what you get when you elect a socialist, by the way, she is an actual. Yeah. So yeah, it's, that's what I was thinking. Like watching her talk. Well, one, I was reminded of a video I saw early COVID of her where she was like shutting down Boston hardcore and they had like a, like a live town hall. And she she was getting lots of shade in the comments, like during the live feed, and they ended up cutting it. I tried to find it, uh, but I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't. I find think it. it was her own TikTok. She was doing trying to do the AOC thing, and she was getting just blasted just, publicly. Yeah. Yeah. And like you could see it on her face because she's like reading the comments, and she's just like slowly like, uh, oh, uh. this was a mistake. But then, but then it's like, okay, well, who are the people who elected her then? Like we only have ourselves to blame here. But I, I do want to know, like, Bostonians, who are you? that's the person you elected she actually thinks it's okay for anyone to just come here and like these people like they can't even rub two brain cells together with with logic like i had the i had the moment when i saw that uh you know and, and I, i'm new to the social media game um but i do appreciate the fact that that x formerly twitter is a place where you basically just dunk on people and then get dunked <laughs> on yourself um and uh my comment to that is do you think michelle Wu uses her parents netflix account <laughs> yeah. Let that one wash over you for a minute. And when it occurs to you, you realize that that is real Steve friend, comedic genius at its best. Uh, but again, she believes, and this is why it's a mistake to say that there's a failure at the board. This is all by design. And, and that has gotten us to, to the place, the third story to sort of demonstrate that. And, and this is an actual written form. This is from Reuters, the U.S. House Republicans plan an impeachment hearing. Uh, for board for Biden's border chief, and that's uh, Mayorkas. Uh, the Republican-led U.S. House of Representative Committee next week will advance an effort to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas over allegations he has been derelict in his duty uh, of managing the U.S.-Mexico border. Now, for all intents and purposes, I guess if you believe that it 
it is his job to manage that border and secure that border. Yes, he's failed there, but that is not what he views his job as. I think that we've sort of hammered this one. Uh, he views his job is to allow that border surge to happen. And that's not that he deems what he's doing as a success, which is uh, obviously a problem if you want to have a uh, United States secure, if you want to have a functional, not what Michelle Wu says, and we'll get to this, not a functional democracy, but have a functional constitutional republic where we can operate within our own borders securely as we've had millions of people come here and they're unvetted. And those are the ones we actually know about, you know, how many of the, the, the unknown people are across the border. So they're going to have their impeachment, which obviously they need to have a two thirds majority in the Senate to actually place him or to remove him from yeah. office and if they do that again it's back to the harvard comparison do you yeah. think that they're going to get ken cuccinelli to be the homeland security <laughs> yeah they'll just fill fill, fill the position with whoever's next uh next in line you know to to get the the prince the prince designation to one of these you know bureaucratic headships and it's like even even this whole charade and a lot of it you know it, i learned from our experience going to congress like okay your impeachment inquiry all right whatever it's just another scam it's just another joke you're not really doing anything and it goes back to that what was that guy that you played from bannon from missouri uh who, who didn't go down there again yeah great uh i'm with you like it is well past time for action to happen but are we going to see it? I won't hold my breath on anything substantive going forward. And the border is a mess. I saw on Twitter yesterday, you know, I mean, I don't know how true it is, but it was a picture of all these abandoned passports at the Southern border. And it was like all foreign. It wasn't, it wasn't South American countries. There's all sorts of different countries uh, that these passports were just like ditched in a pile. And it's like, <clears throat> that's the, like, this isn't normal to have all these military aged males, coming across the border from all sorts of random countries, not just from South Central America, uh, you know, Latin America countries. And so I think something bigger is afoot here. And I do think it's intentional to just further change the landscape of our nation. And, you know, like Michelle Wu from Boston, like, oh, everybody has a right to come here. Yeah, the, uh, illegal immigration. I mean, it, it doesn't it doesn't even really exist anymore because the the enforcing of the law that of the laws that are currently on the books regarding immigration isn't happening. So what's the point, you know, like go ahead, carry on with your impeachment inquiries or whatever other crap you're going to do, but I'm not going to hold my breath on, on it having much of a lasting impact. Well, they kind of give away the game when they say we under no circumstances can have a government shutdown. Well, if you know that you've sort of revealed your hand, it, it would be no different than, well, I'm trying to sell my house for $500,000, but I'll take 400, make an offer. Well, I'm not going to offer one penny over 400,000 if I know that that's your bottom line. Yeah. The same thing goes here. You've given away, you've shown your hand to the other side. If they know that you will not shut the government down, then any threats you make about, well, we're going to shut the government down if you, unless you defund what's going on at the border. Well, they know that, that that's a, a bluff, clearly, uh, as Republicans have done over and over again, which is why this well, Biden's failing at the border is just a talking point. Let's have the impeachment inquiry that's going to go nowhere, as opposed to actually in making the real impactful uh, changes in, in, in policy and using the leverage points that they do have with the budget to uh, change what's gone on where there's millions of people now. And it can't just be put the wall up, stop the flow. We actually have to remove the people that already come in because they're in the millions here, folks, especially in the last few years.
Uh, we'll come off of uh, the border here. And before we go to the next one, I do want to plug uh, the show's uh, one advertiser, but we, we do have another one in the very near future. But for, we want to recognize the, uh, the MyPillow. If you are in the market for some sheets or for a new pillow to sleep on this new year or towels, which is why I brought up the, the towels here, you know, this is a, this is free advice for any young gents here who are going to be betrothed in the very near future. Uh, Garrett, I don't know if you had this experience where you had to go to uh, register for gifts at the department stores oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and every department store is the same. It's miserable. Uh, the way I was able to get out of it was completely tank it. So wife asked me, do you like these towels? And I said, no, they're itchy. Uh, and just, do you like these plates? I said, I don't look at the plates. I look at the food. And she said, do you like these sheets? And I said, I sleep with my eyes closed. And then she kicked him out of the whole process. So free <laughs> advice there, folks. Uh, but when it comes to the sheets, you will not have itchy sheets if you go to MyPillow. And you can support us. You can support them. Use the promo code AMRAD, and you will get a discount as a result of that. Uh, so we'll come off of, of the, the border here, and we'll go to the next one, which is, uh, I think, again, going to resonate really strongly with you. Uh, with you, Garrett, because it's it, it pertains to uh, we fight them over there, so we don't have to fight them here. Mm, say the line, say it, <laughs> say, say the line. Uh, and it's I think it all started with uh, President George W. Bush, his declaration of war. Uh, we'll watch a brief clip of that if you remember it. Uh, and this was in, in early in the first uh, first years of of the George W. Bush administration. By aiding and abetting murder, the Taliban regime is committing murder. And tonight, the United States of America makes the following demands on the Taliban. Deliver to United States authorities all the leaders of Al-Qaeda who hide in your land. nation, this generation, will lift a dark threat of violence from our people and our future. We will rally the world to this cause by our efforts, by our courage. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Well, we did fail. <laughs> as much as it pains me to admit, we did. Uh, the The withdrawal from Afghanistan is something that is seared on my heart and will be forever until I become as demented as Joe Biden. But uh, we did fail, and we failed in more ways than one. It, it wasn't just a failure of 20 years plus at war, lives lost, money spent. In, like You name it, man. We failed hard. but watching that clip it's the same as it ever was man the standing ovations it reminds me of not too long ago when people in the halls of congress were standing up like that and giving standing ovations to vladimir Zelensky when he teleconferenced in and it, it's sickening dude it just is sickening to me i get yeah. i get all spun up as soon as i see everyone doing the standing ovation i think of that that star wars where this is how democracy dies mm -hmm. yep. the thunderous applause i mean they were all in on it and, and i think the, the wounds are pretty fresh obviously after september 11th yeah uh, so there's a little For we sure. have to give a little bit of grace there uh but at the same time included in that speech is we're going to rally the world to this well, 
why is that our job to right. rally the world? Our, your your job is to go over there and take out the, mm -hmm. the people that that did this to us and then come home, yeah. not to do any sort of nation building. And and the way that they justified that is that say the line. Yep. We got to fight them over there so yeah. they won't come back over here. We've got to spread democracy. No, we don't actually. If you, this is the thing too, which yeah, I, I probably should clarify because you're right. We do need to give them a little grace if we think back to the mentality of the nation and the time frame. I'm not even saying we shouldn't have gone to Afghanistan. We should have. We should have went and raised anything related to the Taliban and then left and said, hey, y'all need to figure it out and uh, don't do this crap again because if you mess with us, this is what's going to happen. But instead, we stayed there for 20 years and ended up in a massive you know, failure. But it's the it's the military industrial complex. You know, you can point to Vietnam. You can point to Afghanistan. It's it's the line. Say the line. Well, we've got to do it so we don't have to fight them here. We'll make the world safe for democracy. I'm glad you, you said democracy. I, I alluded to it before with, with Boston Mayor Michelle Wu, and then obviously here we have to build democracy around the world. This whole idea of democracy, we, we've touched on it before. America, the United States of America is not a democracy. That's 50% plus one of the vote. It's the tyranny of the majority as a result of that. That's why we were built as a constitutional republic, which has a democratic elections involved with that process, but uh, as a whole. And then we've now evolved the term democracy, especially if you're on the left, to things I like are democracy. Yes. If you're against me, then you're against yeah. democracy. You're clearly a Russian hack if, if you're <laughs> against anything that I'm for. So the, the line that I want to hammer in on is democracy is on the ballot. Mm. which I just gets me shaking my head and, and laughing because it's just a nonsensical line. It would be like saying like, uh, your ability to order food is on the menu. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. It's ludicrous. Uh, it, and again, it's, it's code for things I like. Uh, here's a clip here. I think it's pretty well sums up the, the, the faulty thinking here. It's about a minute long. We'll, we'll let the, this, this gentleman spell it out for people. And he did it pretty bravely. I think that many of our fellow Americans think, particularly on the left, think in terms of the French model. They don't understand that what we have is not a democratic republic, that's socialism. Uh, what we have is a republican democracy. Mm -hmm. The framework, the constitution preserves that democracy. And what's scary in my reading of the last 50, 60 years of American history, uh, that I've been involved in from the civil rights movement forward is uh, that that vision of a constitution preserving a democracy, not making it better, not making it real democracy, really existing social. That vision of American democracy, the primacy of democracy, is, it seems to me, uh, being lost in our picayune quarrels between Republicans and Democrats. The, whether you're right about what the Republicans intended to do with, let's say, the Electoral College, uh, whether you're right, whether you're right, those are, it seems to be, secondary issues as compared with what's at issue here is the fate of democracy. I think that's a pretty good way to confront uh, all sides of it uh, and, and certainly define what the actual makeup of, of the country is. And I want to actually marry this item the democracy on the ballot to another one that we always hear especially now that we're in 2024 it's a presidential election year uh, let's see if you can take a shot uh, this is the most important election of our lifetimes 
Say the line. And that is across the board. They love to say that. And I'm going to Jesus juke you here, Garrett, because I have pulled up Proverbs 10.5. He that gathereth in summer is a wise son, but he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causeth shame. Why did I pull that up? Because if you think that whatever election, let's say 2024, is the most important election of our lives, that means that November 5th, 2024 is all you care about. Mm -hmm. And now is harvest season. Now is the time of year where you are, well, one, electorally picking candidates up and down the ballot, uh, but their state houses are coming in and they're going to be drafting legislation. And you can really impact guys at the local level because they're going to be asking for your vote as well. But if you are only focusing in on what the latest Gallup poll says uh, in, the, in the horse race for the presidency, uh, then you are missing out on what actual citizenship is and you are asleep at the wheel. This is the harvest season. You have to engage yourself. Uh, and if you think that the most important election is just who's going to sit at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue uh, after November 5th, 2024, uh, then you are asleep at the wheel. Yeah, for sure. And I think of that line. I've been we've been hearing that line our whole lives. You know, I the first election I voted in was 2004, I think. I was 18 first time. But I had been, you know, at least aware of elections prior to that, you know, and it's all the time. It was this is the most consequential election of our lifetime. It's literally every single election season we hear that line from both sides, from all sides. And, and, and yeah, it's, it's the, the time and, and, and uh, just being a citizen and living a, your life in between the elections is, is what matters. It's, it's far more consequential to go and live your life. And what are you actually doing to make this nation better to make it great again, or whatever slogan you want to throw in. <laughs> But no, it, it, it comes down to the election and, oh, you get out and vote and give us money and donate because otherwise the other side is going to continue to drive our nation into the dumpster. And it's like, okay, yeah, I've been hearing that my whole life. And yes, things have progressively gotten worse from both sides, like both, whether it's a Democrat or a Republican, they, they, they have continued to only get worse throughout my lifetime. So we've got a couple of really big ones here. Uh, and I don't think we're going to be able to do them justice because I think we can give a whole show here as we move to, to the next Say the Line. But we would be uh, we would be derelict in our duty as podcast hosts if we didn't touch on these two, I feel. And that is the first one. Uh, January 6th was an insurrection. I don't have a video clip for this. I do have, though, multiple statements that Julie Kelly hammered in on about how early this narrative started. Uh, I'm going to bring both of them up. And uh, the first one is from Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who is a representative from Florida, Democrat. And you'll notice the timestamp, January 6, 2021, 4.09 p.m. Real Donald Trump, this is how we make America great. Violence storming the Capitol, attempting to block your duly elected successor by encouraging armed insurrection. The blood spill today is on your hands. Tell your supporters to stand down, which I... I I think he did that yeah, day. Yeah, he but, had been doing. Um, we'll share this one. Ted Deutsch. This is a violent insurrection, an attempted coup by Trump supporters at his encouragement. They're attacking the building that represents our democracy and threatening those who work in it. History will remember this day 
This dark day as a seditious attack by Americans against America. Man, he got all the terms in there, didn't he? Mm -hmm. 3.40 p.m., so actually a little before Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Uh, and then we had President-elect Biden at that point. Uh, he gave a, a gave an address. We'll just watch a few seconds of it here, what, uh, what President Biden said. What we're seeing are a small number of extremists dedicated to lawlessness. This is not dissent. It's disorder. It's chaos. It borders on sedition. And it must end. So he got his line in. Uh, mm -hmm. Those are three really good examples, I think, of uh, of what how early this narrative started. Um, it's almost as if they were prepared to <laughs> throw the line out there. <laughs> I think that that's definitely something that uh, Julie Kelly has zeroed in on in her book. She wrote a book, January 6th, which is excellent. Um, and I want to connect this to what we keep hearing about the, the 14th Amendment, which was about making freed slaves actual citizens. Um, and I think it's worth looking at because it's been leaned on to try to remove Donald Trump from from the ballot in multiple states. It's been cited at least by the Secretary of State in Maine and the, the Supreme Court in Colorado. Um, I'll read here uh, from directly from it so you can straight from the source, Section 3, no person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector or president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or under any state who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature or as an executive or a judicial officer of any state to support the Constitution of the United States, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same, et cetera, et cetera. And that's obviously uh, a reference to Confederate uh, office holders and, and, and uh, officers in the military and all that. Uh, but I do think that everybody seems to forget Section 5, of the 14th Amendment that, that, that is oh so important to them. The Congress shall have the power to enforce by appropriate legislation the provisions of this article. Um, I, I don't think Congress is the Secretary of State in Maine or the State Supreme Court in Michigan or Colorado. Mm -hmm. uh, so there, there might be a little argument problem with that argument. And then also the whole thing about, again, the insurrection. Um, who was the president on January 6, 2021, Garrett? uh donald trump so it was an insurrection to overthrow the government <laughs> himself <laughs> <laughs> i think there's a get me out of office believe me <laughs> i think there's there's a couple of interesting arguments that need to be had out about that um but i want to definitely highlight i wanted to highlight the fact that this insurrection narrative that we've been hearing for the last now because it, we're coming up on january 6th that day of holiness here in the next two days um three years uh, that's been going on since the day of. Uh, so make sure you say the line if you're of the, the political left and you want to uh, to push back against, uh, against losing your power. And the last one that I want to highlight, and again, no sacred cows on the AMRAD podcast. And this one, I know you were really fired up about Garrett, as was I. So I will yield the floor to you um, as former President Trump took to his truth social profile to talk about new FBI headquarters. He said the FBI headquarters should not be moved to a faraway location, but should stay right where it is in a new and spectacular building in the best location and are now crime-ridden and filthy, dirty, graffiti-scarred capital. They should be involved in bringing back D.C., not running away from it, especially the violent crime. An important part of my platform for president is to bring back, restore, and rebuild Washington, D.C. into the crown jewel of our nation. We will make it crime-free and great again. The FBI should not be fleeing for safer, yet much less convenient environs, 
it should be it should make where they are now the safest place on earth don't move the fbi he said this december 30th 2023 so just a few days ago the floor is yours mr o'boyle yeah i think it's the the worst hottest take on the fbi that uh, we have seen in quite a while especially coming coming from somebody like him and in the last few days there has been a tremendous outpouring of of the mega right you know telling us how we're deep state shills and anti-trump and therefore anti-american because we disagree with the president's statement here and it's like okay well and then there's all sorts of mental gymnastics about what he really meant and he's trolling them and you'll see and it's like okay well we got to take the we got to take what he's saying on face value and what he's saying is beyond the pale like one not only does the fbi not need a new headquarters it needs to be dismantled and shut down for good uh and okay fine if that's too extreme for you okay okay i'll accept your premise then we're not going to shut down the fbi okay fine well we need to instead of rewarding them with a brand new state-of-the-art headquarters facility that is what twice the size of the pentagon i think is the last estimate i heard uh in the in, in the greater dc region well then we need to repeal some of their funding and also by the way they have a brand new state-of-the-art mini headquarters by their own admission in huntsville alabama so if we are going to ensure that the fbi exists well why don't we move the headquarters body out of the swamp because then a lot of the swamp things who like the Washington DC life who think they're important, you know, being in the, in the capital region, let's get them out of the swamp because then a lot of those people will be less attracted to those positions. And one of the big problems we hear all the time is, Oh, the good men and women of the FBI, they aren't the problem. It's the leadership. Okay. Well, let's, let's cut the head off of the snake then. And a good way we can start doing that is moving all of headquarters out of DC to Huntsville and then a lot of those people will be scrambling to go to WFO or Baltimore field office or whatever, uh, instead of the revolving door of headquarters. But it just, it just, it strikes me as odd that he would say something like that. And then a lot of people will say, that's exactly right. It should strike you as odd because he clearly doesn't mean what he's saying. And it's like, <laughs> well, I want someone who's a leader in this country to say what they mean and mean what they say. And I think you did a really good job of making the argument for not having a new headquarters in Washington, DC. I'm, I'll hear the argument in favor of it. My purpose of bringing this to the discussion today about say the line is the sheer number of people who for the last three years have been saying defund the FBI. The FBI is the enemy of the people. We need to get rid of it. But then when the the standard bearer for your party or for your, your preferred uh, candidate for office says the exact opposite of that, you immediately 180 degrees shift yep. to parrot that talking point in violation of what you have been saying is your principle. So in effect, uh, to, to sort of come full circle on this, now arguing, if you for the last three years have said defund the FBI, are now saying, well, if Donald Trump wants a new headquarters in, in Washington, D.C., I'm in favor of that. That's an objectively good thing. That mental leap is no different than saying, I am vaccinated against coronavirus and I have now contracted, contracted COVID. I am grateful to be vaccinated and boosted. It's the exact same mental process that's gone on and that is a problem and this is a this is going to lead us to uh, a conversation that we're going to have as 2024 
proceeds uh, because it's certainly worth our time. But to, just to give you a taste, it's a debate between uh, what are your preferred policies, your preferred vessels of, of how to bring those policies forward, and what are your core convictions? There's two really, we have two hands, we have one and one, one and the other. Um, so your preferred if you have a policy preference about, you know, oh, we need to have free trade or we need to have high tariffs, we can have that debate. Garrett and I can disagree on that. We might compromise. I might convince him that I'm right. He might convince me that he's right. But you're not going to go to war over that uh, intellectually. Uh, same thing goes with who's your preferred candidate for office. You think that this particular person is the best vessel to bring forward your policies. Uh, you don't necessarily have to agree with them. I can tell you firsthand that I've never agreed with one candidate on every single thing or one party on every single thing. And the reason for that is Steve Friends never run for political office and real Steve Friend isn't a political party. Uh, everybody is different. And you you pick the vessel who you think best reflects your policies, but it doesn't have to be 100 percent right. and you should push back when you disagree because that's how uh you get a candidate for office office to actually improve in, from from your perspective right and it, and it also ties into the constitutional republic piece that we talked about it's your representatives they represent everybody so that means they should listen to even people from the a different political party for instance to to best represent the the sum total of the people that they're supposed to be representing and you have these policy preferences or these candidate preferences. And those, again, are something that you can negotiate on in an ideal world. And then you have the convictions, which you draw a line and you will not cross. So uh, where does life begin? There's a man and a woman only. Uh, I have the absolute right to defend myself. I have gun rights. But the problem that I think we're having is we've inverted that. So now we're willing to negotiate on these, these convictions. We can say, well, we can't win an election if we... Uh, aren't willing to stand for life. Or maybe we should pare back your ability to protect yourself with gun rights so we can uh, get an electoral outcome that we want. And by the same token, you draw the line on who your preferred candidate for office is. And if someone, uh, you might agree on 95% of things, but they think that one candidate is a better person to bring that forward than you, you are now going to excise them from your life. They're an enemy to you. Whereas the person who shares your preferred candidate, but you might disagree or you might uh, agree with far less, uh, that's going to be an ally. So I think that that is a problem for, for what we're having. Um, and, and certainly it's a discussion that we need to have going forward if we're going to have any sort of semblance of sanity. Uh, now, folks, if you've been with us on Rumble here in the chat, I uh, see you guys having some, some fun conversations on it. Um, you might not agree with the, the sort of idea that I've proffered on this. I you might think I'm Daniel Webster. Maybe I've convinced you and uh, you think, Steve, we should install you as the, the dictator of the world. I'm hopeful. Maybe. You never know. Uh, but make sure you throw us a comment if you agree or, or don't on that. Um, and while you're there, make sure you're following the show and giving us uh, a like. Smash the like button. Uh, if you're listening subsequently on audio format and on the podcast, make sure you're subscribing on iTunes and iHeart, Spotify. Uh, Garrett, that's that's basically what we have today for say the line. You have any uh, any closing remarks for for the group? No, just uh, just what's what Steve and I are 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 ending the show with today is is something that I think is drastically important because it does it shouldn't matter just that on a human level if you agree with me about the FBI or you agree with Trump about the FBI headquarters or whatever like we. We need to get past this point of of solely like 
putting all our chips in no matter what. And we need, you know, we, we're saying say the line. Uh, those of you who follow me, uh, my Substack, or, you know, maybe you bought one of the last line shirts, on there it says hold the line. We also need to hold the line because what, what whatever our beliefs are about transgender or men and women, like, or our constitutional rights, we cannot um, compromise on those because that's how we delve into this lawlessness that we've seen time and time again, and especially in the last few years. Like, we have to be firm in our and resolute in in our belief structure and our belief system, and come up with rational, reasonable arguments as to why we hold those beliefs. And we can do that in a in a loving, graceful way with one another. And we all can grow together. I guess that would be my closing thought. We also have we just have to hold the line as well. Hold the line and make sure you get a copy of, of that that T-shirt that he has at www.the-suspendables.com. The hold the line is, is definitely something that I think is uh, is a good line to end, to end it with today. Uh, so, folks, thank you for joining the AMRAD podcast today. We will be with you again on Saturday at noon uh, with some new content there as well. Uh, for the time being, have a blessed day, and, uh, and thanks for, for being with us. You've been listening to the voice of the suspendables on the American Radicals podcast. Follow us on rumble.com slash amradpod. Everybody out in the world.